Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Oh, Jan, it's a busy morning, a crowded studio. So many people. We have indeed. I better say before I forget, happy birthday, Mum. In case I forget to ring her later. But we better get going, I think. And here we go. Okay. Um, And Jan's just adjusting a microphone. Oh, my book today is entitled, and you think calm and relaxed wasn't so just a minute ago. My book today is entitled Breaking Beauty, and it's a collection of short stories. Um, Now, we have the editor in here today, and we also have, and I've, oh, look at this, Um, Gay Lynch is one of the authors, and Lynette Washington is the editor and one of the contributors. So, Lynette and Gay, welcome to 3CR. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. Thank Good. you. Not a worry. Now, all these stories, and I'll start with you, Lynette, I think, have something in common. Two things. The authors are participants in the creative writing course at Adelaide Uni, and all the stories address in some way the concept of beauty. But how have you defined beauty? Oh, well, <laughs> it wasn't so much how I define it, actually, because... Um I I guess I had certain expectations about what would be submitted when we put that Mm. theme out there. But um, in fact, what happened was all these writers who are incredibly talented came back with far more diversity than we could have than I could have dreamt of, actually. Did, did you have a criteria before you began, or how did you come up with the concept? What was the focus? Yeah. Well, the concept came about because we because previously the University of Adelaide postgrad creative writing program, program had published collections of their postgrad students' work, but it hadn't happened for a while. Mm. And I, I'm doing my PhD there as well, and I sort of wanted to get the project up and running again. Mm. Um, so I took the idea to Anna Solding at Midnight Summer publishing and is also um, a postgrad student was a postgrad student there and she loved it and she said let's go with it but we need a theme because these writers are all very diverse they write in different genres yes. we've got um, you know Sean Williams is a science fiction fantasy writer we've got literary fiction writers we've got steampunk writers we've got you know there's there's incredible diversity and we needed to pull it all together with a theme Mm. um so we threw a few ideas around and nothing really stuck and then one day i said to anna what about beauty and it just seemed like a really rich kind of idea that Mm. could have all sorts of broad implications and i think also it's something that we're obsessed with at the moment you know it's a cultural obsession don't you think that the beauty that's celebrated i mean you call it breaking beauty so in some ways we take apart um, the traditional concept of beauty, but in some ways you're celebrating beauty in all its guises. It's not just the beautiful. It's looking at life and seeing beauty in often uh, unfortunate circumstances even. Yeah, that's my favourite thing about the book, I think, is mm. that, um, I, you know, I... I had worried that we would just get these um, stories that were about physical beauty in a very, you know... Which is the narrow narrow, cultural perspective, physical beauty, the model on the catwalk. But this is not. It's not like that at all. And to me, beauty is much more interesting when it's in a moment, you know, something that happens or, you know, something that's 
fleeting. Yes. And um, all of these stories have got something like that in them. But beauty can also be seen in tragedy in some ways. Absolutely. And yeah. and there are stories that, you know, definitely look at that. Yes. And um, Stefan Luzczyk's The Window Winder is one of those. That's a very macabre, bloody story. Um, I, I think I, I won't be giving too much away when I say there are heads rolling <laughs> in, in the window winder, yeah. um, which, and you don't expect it, but mm. he's taken that horror genre, shall we say, but added another dimension to it. Absolutely. There's another dimension that's really fascinating. And, you know, I had to read that story several times to really, I think, fully appreciate it yeah. because there's so much going on. There's so much detail and it's this incredible, you know, situation that... Um, that, well, that occurs. There's a, yeah. there's a car accident, but yeah. uh, we, we won't go any further. I mean, people are going to have to go out and buy the book and read these <laughs> stories for themselves. Before we get into any other story then, I want to sort of just jump back. I mean, in your introduction, you've talked of serendipity, and then you've also got the Midnight Sun Publishing House, um, a rather new publishing house with its own goals and objectives. Would you like to speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Midnight Sun came about... Um, because Anna Solding, who, as I said, was a, um, in the PhD program, um, finished her PhD and um, had a look at the publishing world that was happening around her and and um, realised that there was a lot of great work being written that mm. was considered um, unpublishable by mainstream publishers yes. because it wasn't necessarily going to sell, you know, many thousands of copies. So there's this excellent work that's just being left by the wayside and so she's really passionate about um, increasing diversity in publishing and also about really good quality writing and she has an eye for that you know she can find that and she's found some amazing books already well when you look at the quality of the writing in here they're graduates from the adelaide course how do they find a voice? How do they? Well, they've got their voice, but how do they make it heard? How do they get it out there? That's that's part of the problem. Yeah, well, and this is one of the reasons why we have these types of anthologies. And um, but you know, another way, of course, is competitions and mm. um, other and magazines and journals and that type of thing. That's you know, short stories. I think are probably a good way to get to start building a reputation as an emerging writer. But how do you get short stories? published i mean i was talking to a literary agent and i got out the word short and she said mm -hmm. no she can't find a market for them sort of thing oh look i think that's all a bit i'm a bit annoyed by that really you know because short stories <laughs> i think a lot of fantastic. authors are annoyed by that too. And, but it's yeah. very much a cyclical thing you know short stories in the part you know i've just been re i've just read a book by joanna uh rankoff i think her name is um my salinger year so she's writing about J.D. Salinger, and in that era, in you know, in America, short stories were enormous, mm. and you know, so it comes and goes. And at the moment, we've been in a bit of a lull, but I think there's actually a lot of activity at the moment. To me, I feel like we're coming out of that. Right. I really hope we are. But it's it's a way of reimagining the world. Um, what I love, and we'll get into the stories now, some of them anyway, is this notion of an author taking a um, or taking our assumptions as readers, they set us up and then allow us to see things from a different perspective. Mm. There's, well, we get into the window winder again, there's love in the macabre yeah. sort of thing. Absolutely. And, and think, how is that possible? We don't normally see it that way. Um, for example, another one there is Olive and Oliver. 
um, a backward pregnancy, shall I say. Yeah, this, this story's got a really great structure. That was one of the things that struck me about it. I'm always interested in stories that have an interesting structure that play with form a little bit mm. and do something a bit interesting and don't necessarily have to always be about just a block of text on the page. Yes. And so with that story, um, we do go backwards in numbered sections and we see the how it all finishes up, mm. but then we get to the beginning and we realise what's actually been going well, on. Well, the changing time. expectations that yeah. have occurred over time and how yeah. often we go into a situation with one set of expectations not foreseeing the potential um, of the future. Yeah, and I do think that's one of the things that short stories really can do very well uh, because they... Um, they they can set you up really quickly and you you think you know what's happening and what's going on. Mm. But then, and in my story, I do this a little bit as well, you know, have an, an ending that's perhaps a little bit unexpected. And what I really want to do with that is to say to people, um, you know, Perhaps not everything is what you... As it seems seems. to be. Well, you have a certain sexual tryst in your story. That's the the Leah and Amos. And um, a sexual tryst that perhaps one would frown upon. Possibly. Possibly. One might. But you change or the ending comes or the the realisation comes uh, towards the end, which I think changes the reader's perception of the situation i hope it does i hope it creates some compassion actually that's sort of what i was aiming for Mm. to um you know you have a certain idea about what this couple is doing and you might be offended by what they're doing you might think it's um distasteful or you know or or whatever you might think but then when when you see what happens in that very last paragraph Mm. you realize that actually what they're creating is a beautiful moment of intimacy and they're doing it in the best way they can in difficult circumstances. circumstances. And it's when you discover the circumstances that you've got to re-image or the, the reader has to re-evaluate the assumptions that uh, they bring with them to yeah. a story or to that situation. I hope so, yeah. 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 But we should talk about gays story the abduction of Ganymede and you used Jermaine Greer what's going on well excuse me I think that um the beauty of young boys is perhaps as it's an equally taboo subject as the one uh, that Lynette's the story that Lynette wrote in the sense that um young boys are beautiful but who has permission to speak about their beauty and how dangerous is the beauty Yes, uh, is, is probably what I was interested in. Because there's, there's lots of uh, social taboos and norms and all sorts of things that in some ways um, are restrictive, you could say, and mm. you've, you've challenged that. Well, I think Germaine Greer challenged that first because she provokes for a reason, I'm sure, mm. and uh, she would have known that talking about semen running like tap water in young boys would provoke people um and so i've drawn on greer and i've drawn on the abduction of ganymede which is has has many meanings that Mm. in which case the greek god zeus kidnapped a beautiful boy and and what happened to the beautiful boy depends on the version that you read yes and but i mean society now has all of these um how shall we say attitudes um there's been the backdrop of what's happened in the community um with pedophilia and things like that so it 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 becomes a taboo 
Um, but you've you've also seen it um, in artwork where um, young is it art or is it pornography and things like mm. that. So how? Uh, but therefore, you're challenging the concept of beauty. Yes, yeah, so I tried to do that by using the second person so that the gender of the narrator is obscured. So mm. um, without giving too much away, I hope that the reader thinks a little bit about who is the rescuer and who is the victim and who is the perpetrator because the opening scenes are quite violent and so mm. the perpetrator seems obvious. Um, and um, not to say there's a true meaning either that mm. I hope that it's open-ended. Yes, but you, yeah, we come to it again with with those expectations of, of of an audience that are predisposed to one way of looking at something and then you change it you alter it um we've also got, got other stories you were talking lynette before about the um the style and the structure uh there's one the blood the snow the raven where you've um how shall we say it uh played on well of the fairy tale genre but then the well you have the old crone turning up and a price to be paid but it it again those expectations and it's shifted yeah yeah that's an interesting story because it does play on those old fairy tale tropes and uh but it uh, but to me it actually felt like a very contemporary story and i felt as though that was a story that a lot of women in particular would relate to because it's about um, wanting to be pregnant, to conceive and not being able to and um, and the relationship between the husband and the wife and the, the, the woman's uh, mental health mm. as she goes down that road. But also, you know, the sacrifices in many ways that mothers make for their children and all of these mm. sorts of things and what mothers, are, the, the, the lengths mothers are prepared to go to uh etc so but in using the fairy tale you've well it has lifted or um shifted um our our attitude our thinking about such things yeah, yeah. it just adds another layer of interest i think and and we're all familiar to some extent with those fairy tale ideas and those images the poison apple mm. the the spinning the, the needle on the spinning wheel and that we bring to that our own well, childhood it's, memories it's the cultural trope mm. all of these things that we have been raised with but in many ways they are part of our culture but we refer to them and we can gain more through looking at them but changing the perspective in some ways. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's yeah. what good writers do, That's I think. They shed light and they bring new perspectives to old ideas. I mean, we could keep talking about this collection. There are 27 stories in all. Uh, the introduction by Brian Castro is one sentence but it goes for three pages. So there, there are challenges there. Uh, there's some good reading, some very good writing. Um, it is a collection entitled Breaking Beauty. Uh, the editor is Lynette Washington. We've also had Gay in here talking about her story. And it's Midnight Sun Publishing. And now we've got to do a bit of a shift. Oh, and we've done it, David. We're so good at this. This is marvellous. Jan, all yours. Now, you're talking about beauty. Now, beauty is a term, just like family. Is there really such a thing as a normal family? Extended families from grandparents down to grandkids. You know, what's normal about all of that? Margaret Merrilees has written short anecdotes about a family that isn't normal. <laughs> but what comes out of it is a family full of love, caring and a great deal of humour. <laughs> <laughs> 
Margaret, or Mags, we shall continue with. Um, your book is Fables, Queer and Familiar, and it starts with a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding about good and bad, legal and illegal, marriage, right and wrong. James is the grandson. What did he hear and not quite understand? Oh, yes. Well, uh, James has two grannies and uh, he's heard them having a discussion about gay marriage and uh, one of them's got fed up and said, oh, what the hell, you know, let's get married anyway, we'll have a big party. And uh, legal, illegal, who cares? So James is a very serious little boy. He's taken that away and thought about it and worried about it, as he does. He's, he's got this social activist family, which is a burden mm. for a serious little boy. You know, he can't be sure that they won't do something peculiar at a drop of a hat about something or other. So, uh, yes, he's, he's found out what legal and illegal mean and he's very, very worried that his grannies are about to do something illegal. Of course, he asked his father, you know, why would they want to get married? And there's all of this uh, words like commitment and forever. And he says, but you and mummy aren't married. You know? <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Because it, it's such a thing that's come and gone over the last several generations, you know. For my generation, to get it was a fight not to have to get married. Mm. Um, you know, as Jermaine Greer once again has pointed out in a rather curmudgeonly way, we, sh we fought so hard for the right not to be married. Um, but that's gone backwards. Now we're in a generation that really believes in marriage and that includes gay people, of course. Well, through this, there's one thing that always gets a, um, a family together and it's the, the kindergarten end-of-year pageant, <laughs> and I love this. This pageant involved the whole community. I think somebody said to me recently, if, if you want to know where the revolution's happening, it's happening in the kindergartens. <laughs> <laughs> There's a very, uh, a, a very well-meaning teacher, and he is determined to embrace diversity. And, of course, when it comes to um, Joseph and Mary... There's a limit to how diverse you can be, but he does his best with two Marys. Two Marys and a baby. <laughs> yeah, at the He'd love to have two Josephs and a baby, but he doesn't think the school community is quite ready for that. Now, there's another little bit about families too, because families do come together at Christmas, and this family wants to reduce the amount of capitalism. So uh, Chris Crindle is organised, but Tara, now she's one of Anna's adult children, Anna being the grandmother. She has her own form of anti-capitalism. How does she, she go? <laughs> <laughs> she's one of those young women who, well, she's a rebel. And um, as far as she's concerned, non-capitalism, anti-capitalism means stealing. So everybody gets a, a present yep, from her. She, it's she, all shoplifted. She is, she's determined to give everybody a present. <laughs> she's determined not to pay for any of them. Now these grannies, Anna and Julia, are politically aware too. So we have uh, some very, very astute comments about Julia Gillard and Tony Abbott. And uh, they're also socially aware too. You mentioned Jermaine Greer, but there's also a little look here at how high high heel shoes are now. They oh, haven't been yes. that high since the 1950s. Oh, yes. And there's even a fashion uh, thought about hats, the study of hats, and it's not Flemington at the races. <laughs> Where is it? Writer's Week. <laughs> In Adelaide. <laughs> I didn't read, realise that you know, hats were such an important 
because it's outside, isn't it's it? It's outside. I must. I have to say, and probably Lynette and Gay would back me up. The hats have been a bit disappointing the oh. last couple of years. Yes, I think the standard has dropped. Oh dear. Oh yeah, well, I hope that yeah. picks up. Uh, now, the other thing that um, was being spoken about is grannies. They well, they might have a different sexual persuasion to a lot of grandmothers. Who knows? But technology you know when you hit the grandparent age there's technology and you've introduced a word that i just loved or a, f- a term adaption fatigue adaption going fatigue. to buy a new phone and chia moan who's done the illustrations for this book has done a wonderful illustration of a is a little figure of a woman lying flat on her back and she's surrounded by passwords and, you know, new bits of technology and things that you have to grapple with and improvements. And I love it. But people have responded very – people across the board have responded to that one. Well, Chia well, Moan, who's done the cartoons and illustrations through this book, has done a fabulous job. But I think it's her Avengers that I, I really um, <laughs> liked. You know, they're, they're these two super grannies flying off with um, their uh, memory. You know, this is things that um, super grannies have. Memory never forgets an injustice may forget keys. <laughs> and the other one, you know, the other super Avenger flying off with her cape of invisibility. And don't <laughs> we know about that as an older person? But, look, I want to give um, our listeners just a little bit of a, a chance to hear some of these little bits from a book. And, look, just, just be a bit broad with this. Go. Just don't forget that you're not as invisible as you think, she says. I am. I'm officially an old lady. Never. No, it's true. This young guy got on the bus. He couldn't get his ticket to work in the machine and he was trying to get the driver to give him another one, a lot of aggro. He was swearing the driver wasn't much better. A young woman behind me called out, Hey, watch your language. There's an old lady on board. Not you. Yeah, I looked around, but there was no one else. Julia laughs. What did you do? What do you reckon? I said, who the fuck are you calling an old lady? (laughs) Oh, great. That's really advancing the cause of universal peace. Ro looks sheepish. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't have. It was just the shock. She thought she was looking after me. So then everybody on the bus was swearing at everybody else? Well, my champion didn't actually swear. She just got very sniffy and said not to take it out on her. But me swearing shut the driver and the young guy up completely. The young guy sat down grinning his head off. I made his day. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently there's a a series of tea towels uh, around that you can buy with that expression on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a very popular one. Okay, so we know that these two grannies are lesbians and there's a, a hot chapter title called... What lesbians do in bed. <laughs> now, we're not even going there. You're going to have to write the, write the, yes, read you the have book to, buy to, the book. <laughs> to find out. And the most amusing little um, chapter about how books are chosen for the book group, especially if you're on the lesbian book club. You know, I know most book clubs have problems choosing <laughs> books, but this one, this one was just a classic. This is a lot of these, as you may guess, a lot of these stories come from my own life, but I've given them to fictional characters. 
Um, and I am in a lesbian book group, and every year, at least once a year, we sit down and discuss what a lesbian book group is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and who clarifies, you know, to be? We, <laughs> never, we have never arrived at a proper definition. <laughs> oh, what? Well, a, a definition. Now, this is another little bit of humour. A definition. An atlas. This is written from um, Margaret Merrill's book, Fables Queer and Found Familiar. An atlas. An archaic book used for locating places does not induce the seasickness of Google Earth and is less bossy than a GPS. <laughs> I like that. An atlas. <laughs> okay, so we have some a lot of common sense through this book too. You know, the difference between uh, how to choose a dog, you know, or why you should choose a dog or a cat. Or what I really liked was the play between the generations. Mm. Sarah, the 15-year-old, grunge, great-granddaughter, uh, great and her great-grandmother and how they do sort of have similarities on oh, the frustration of sex but also death. Now, yes. have you been taken part for this, doing the, mentioning things like exit? And nobody has n- nobody has said much about that. I know. It's <laughs> Yes, there's another cartoon in here that mm, yes, yeah. has a lot to do with the exit plan. Okay, so... I liked it. I really, really laughed at all of these. But it, you don't have to actually just read the book. You've got all of this on tape, on radio. Yes, this is um, this is a sort of multimedia extravaganza. Um, it's um, yes, it's a radio serial. Um, it's being uh, played on Radio Adelaide at the moment, and you can get podcasts on the Radio Adelaide website. And uh, it's available to community radio stations across the country. It's yeah. very professionally done. I've, I've listened to a few and really enjoyed them. Okay, so um, Max, this is your second book, the first one, uh, the first week it was called. You won the Wakefield Press Unpublished Manuscript Award. Yes, that was that was lovely because, um, as Lynette was saying earlier, it's short stories or novels or any sort of fiction it's very hard to get published these days so um that was a stroke of luck and um so that came out that's called the first week that came out uh, a very a, a different proposition a more serious novel not entirely serious um came out about 18 months ago yes mm. and that's done quite well that's well i thoroughly enjoyed uh this Little anecdote, anecdotes of family, friends, and life from lesbian grannies. Well, we're finished. And, oh, Margaret Mer- Merrilies, I was speaking with fables, fables queer and familiar from Wakefield Press. Thanks, That's Jan. Is that lesbian literature? Is it? What? what is, <laughs> as in, I have to di- say that my book group has not chosen this book to discuss this year, so I have but to I, challenge them about where it fails on the criteria. Wouldn't. wouldn't Literature transcend any labelling in in many well, ways. Well, you would hope, and yes. one day I hope this will be true. Ah, uh, yes, because it, yeah, it it, it I've, there's a book I've got coming up um, next month, I think, which has been described as lesbian literature, but mm. I don't know what that means. Uh, I'll, I'll well, have to read the book and it, find yes, out. Yes, or whether it's got sex in. Yeah, it, look, it's open there for it, clarification, mm. but isn't it? It wouldn't it be then just part of the general wealth of literature? Uh, well, I think while there are still minority groups which are still oppressed, 
um, you know, those groups will have their own stories. And because they're, those groups, and lesbians especially, are not particularly well represented still in the mainstream, mm. particularly in a happy way, mm. you know, there's still plenty of lesbian suicides, um, it's meant to always end with a suicide if it's got lesbians in it. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> well, things are better than they were 20 years ago. Let's let's be optimistic. But nevertheless, I think, you know, eventually, hopefully, those those the need for those labels disappears. Yes, and I mean, and that's the thing about literature. It opens up a forum. It opens up a, a means by which all sorts of marginalised groups can express themselves. And the expression, in some ways, is universal. What, the, what people are going through is, yeah. is universal. Um, and we can find ourselves in any sort of genre, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, and that's what, breaks down the, that's what breaks down the divisions eventually, that everyone sees that the, the issues are universal. Mm, yes, so there's no such thing as normal. No terms like beauty, no terms like family, throw them all out. Speaking of which, mine was Breaking Beauty, the the collection of short stories. We had Gay Lynch talking about uh, her short story, The Abduction of Ganymede and the the taboos we were breaking there. And uh, Lynette uh, was, well, has edited. How did you find that process of editing, Lynette? Oh, I loved it because, um, you know, uh, the, the quality of the writing when it first came in was extraordinary. So it was really quite easy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, there was an enormous amount of work to be done. And I got the experience of working with 27 brilliant writers. And I've built relationships with a lot of those writers now and their friends. 27 and contributors, but how many did you reject? Oh, well, that's a secret. I can't that's tell you that. That's a secret. <laughs> because, again, you know, the challenge would be how do you make ultimately make that selection? And that, that was difficult, of course. Yeah, that's right. always difficult. Well, we're going to have to finish here for, uh, until next week. Breaking Beauty, edited by Lynette Washington from Midnight Sun Publishing. And uh, Margaret Merrilies. Uh, Fables Queer and Familiar by Wakefield Press.